You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there. It's everyone's favorite name brand allergy medicine. Drew Gasparini here with another episode of Now We're Talking, the podcast that won't shut up during your kid's recital. Fuck your kid. Today, our guest is someone I go back a long time with. He's a kind soul who always has me laughing when I see him. You know him for his work on stage in shows like Triassic Park, Lysistrata Jones, Wicked, and the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening. Hell, you might know him for his work on screen in shows like The Bold and the Beautiful or the Emmy Award-nominated series that he co-created, The Indoor Boys. He's an actor, a writer, a Tony-nominated producer, and a good friend of mine. I'm thrilled he's here. Everyone, now we're talking with Alex Wise. I would like to start by saying I feel like you're just one of those you're one of those rare people that kind of no matter what the circumstance or the situation, but when I see you, I'm always kind of uplifted and and have a marvelous time. That's so kind cuz um there's so many casting directors who have disagreed. And <laughs> it's just so nice to hear some positive feedback and from someone in the industry. It's in really the industry. Great. And listen, I'm on the other side of the table. I, you're sure. always welcome. Come on in anytime. Uh, I would like, I think, I think everybody should start referring to you as the Jewish space laser of musical theater. You know, I do feel like I am a hot button congressional issue. <laughs> and... <laughs> And um, and I do feel um, like I have a laser focus and mm-hmm. and a and a and a Jewish look. <laughs> uh, Alex, how you been, man? I haven't I haven't like talked to you in in well over a year. It seems. Oh no, when did I last see you? Yeah, about a year ago. Over a year was ago. was it? Yeah, you sang at the I Could Use a Drink re-release concert at Fifty Four Below, and I think that's the last time I saw you. That was and then, one of the most amazing nights. Oh, thanks. I had fun. I'm just happy that you were able to to do it. That's that's my joy is just getting to hang and, and watch you do your thing. And like You're, by you, able to do it, you mean like you could still hit the notes vaguely. But, but boy, could you. <laughs> like, holy well. shit. I think you, you got one of those voices, man. You have that. You have like, um, I don't know. It's a powerhouse. People can hear you in the rafters. You just got uh, this like voice that carries and carries and carries. Uh, Alex, so this, this podcast really is about a whole lot of nothing. I mean, like it really Mm -hmm. is, it was kind of my 2020 excuse to 
uh, make time with my showbiz friends. And what better way to do that than start a podcast, I feel like. And uh, I consider you one of my showbiz friends. And we've sat and we've had meals together and we've done collaborative things together. But there's Mm -hmm. a whole lot I don't know about you. And I'd like to start with like all of that. I was born on a misty Tuesday. It was it was misty. That no, I saw that on Wikipedia. It was a misty Tuesday, which is such a great porn star name. Misty oh, Tuesday. Oh, really is. That's really nice. Well, or good or good drag name, you know. Great drag name, absolutely. Welcome misty to the Tuesday. stage, Misty yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> Wearing train conductor couture. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what was what was I like? Well, first off, I'm really excited you started a uh, podcast because you have a really good announcer voice. No, yeah. So I think it's a really good move for you. It's Thank a lateral you. move. I'm not gonna no. lie, it's a lateral move, but I think it's a really good move. You're kidding me. <laughs> it's that forward resonance. I place everything right up here in the mask, baby. That's where yeah. it is. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, that's absolutely working. Um, okay. All right. Well, this is the part right now. I have to start talking about myself. No, you have to start like, talking. No, I don't want to. This is where I start sweating. And I'm like, no, anything but me. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> let me stall more with more jokes. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. So I was born in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, which was very lovely and suburban and fine. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> that's you know that's that's when you drive into Cleveland. That's the big sign. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's Cleveland, fine. It's, it's fine. You know, it's funny yeah. looking back on it. I'm so thankful that I'm from Cleveland because I think it's such a great town that's full of so much theater and mm. art and culture, and it was very liberal. I mean, compared to so many other places in the world. When I was a kid, though, I didn't have the perspective, and the only thing that I wanted was to go to New York City. You know, but looking back, I can be really appreciative of all that I had in Cleveland and all the opportunities that were. What was it about? Like, what was it about New York City, though? Because I'm also, you know, I, I might be from the Bay Area, but a suburb for sure, and my idea. Yeah of New York City was so romanticized. That's a word? That's that's yeah, a word. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. By like by like Seinfeld or mm. or friends. I was like, I am either gonna be one of these coffee drinking yuppies or one of these really complaining New Yorkers, and I'm happy with either. And that was kind of my perception of New York. What made you be like, ah, oh, New York's gotta be the place? Was it strictly theater that wanted that made you see the appeal yeah. of this big, bright, buzzy city? Yeah, I mean, it was, well, first off, I'd like to say that between um, complainer and yuppie coffee drink, you're kind of both. Like, you yeah. really, you you won both of those <laughs> quite well, right? This is all by design. It's all by design, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and for me, New York was just all theater and Broadway, and, and mm. that was just magic to me when so I was a kid. So theater was like, you were super young when you started loving it. Yeah, I mean, I was, I I saw my first Broadway show when I was a little, little, little kid. And I, so I had a grandmother who lived in New York, who Mm. was the coolest person in the whole wide world. She, um, she lived in New York city on 71st and fifth Avenue. And she was like a chic fur hat wearing, like fierce screaming at cab drivers. And she was just, I love this woman. Yeah, like a real like like you'd find her um, in in like the in the uh, libretto of company. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she was really that kind of you know. She probably like you know. I think she even might have like known Elaine Stritch just casually. Yeah, yeah. You know, no big deal. She like, casually knew Elaine. Right. Yeah. She actually was friends. So my grandmother was a writer, okay. and she wow. was. 
Yeah. And she, she worked a little bit in theater. She did a lot in advertising. She wrote a mm-hmm. lot of like f- slogans for advertising that are still used today. Um, and she was just like that. She wrote like um, my grandma wrote um, with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. No. And she, and she, she made up the name Bed Bath and Beyond. No, and, she did not. Yeah, she did. And and oh my she, god, that sounds like completely made up factual stuff. But this is real, real factual no, stuff. That's real. That's my grandmother Lois Wise. Um, she, Lois so she died. Wise. God, I was going to yeah. ask for the name. Yeah, Lois. Yeah. All right, we love. Yeah, her. she she was so cool. But she was such a um, she was so steeped in culture, and she loved theater. And mm. she and you know my parents really loved theater too. So they were always taking me to the touring shows that would come uh, downtown to the the touring houses in Cleveland and then once a uh, once a year we'd go to New York and my grandma would take me to a bunch of shows so as a little kid I was seeing Secret Garden when I was like little 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 and oh what a good one to see at such a young age and then you know the stuff for kids like I saw Beauty and the Beast and I saw Phantom and I saw and so I was just totally obsessed with it and thought it was the most magical thing in the world. And so for me, New York was always the goal. And my grandmother always said to me, she was quite a wordsmith, um, evidently, you know, and she would always say to me, she said, Alex, Cleveland is a from place and New York is a to place. I love this woman so much. She was everything, brilliant. everything you have said of this woman, I am completely obsessed with. Yes, yeah, no, she was it's she a was from truly, place. God bless her. Yeah, oh. she was amazing. She was amazing. I mean, she also she wrote like 60 books, you know. She was wow. really yeah, she was really cool. So, so, so she this is huge, your dad's this is your dad's mom. That's right. That's my it was my dad's mom. Yeah. Amazing. Um, she died when I was in college, um, mm-hmm. but I had a great relationship with her all mm-hmm. through my childhood and teenage years and the beginning of my adulthood. And she uh, really showed me what New York was. And she was the one who um, uh, helped amplify that dream for me. And uh, wow. and, and then my, my parents are really awesome, too, because they were so um, uh, generous about um, allowing me to audition for shows and being the ones who would drive me to rehearsals and, wow. and letting me do, I mean, granted, you know, they're Jewish, so they were deeply afraid for me at all times, of course. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> De- deeply afraid. I love that. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as only Jewish parents could be, you know, sure, sure. I you know, they, they, you know, there was love and support and just deep fear. But and coded so, in, yeah, immense violent fear for their child, sure. Yeah, yeah, violent love <laughs> and violent fear. So, so yeah, New York was always the dream. And I actually, you know, never, a lot of my career has also been in like television. And I never yeah. thought, I never thought that TV was an option for me because I, that's You're, a different conversation. You remind but, me, no, it's all part of the same conversation because I actually have this written down. There is something about yeah. you and and the way you have navigated your journey through theater and then transitioned into the screen and TV kind of world and producing world and writing world. You're like a Ron Howard of our generation, just in terms of how you manage to have a finger in one of these pies within show business at all times. And it doesn't look like your relevancy will ever, ever falter. You're always going to have something going on in a way that attracts a good number of people at all times. You have something so fucking likable about you. It's the Ron Howard complex. I really think that when you, you know, I, when I first visited New York, I was like Uh 19 or 20 
And the first show I saw was the last, maybe it had two weeks left of its run was Beauty and the Beast. And oh, I no wish, way. I wish to fuck. I saw it when I was a kid. These actors were so tired. They were so, <laughs> they were so done. I re- this is a very true story. It was a matinee. I was bewildered at how small uh, the theaters were because, you know, touring mm. houses in some of the world, in some of the country are like gigantic. So when yeah, you're used yeah. to like seeing something in a touring production, you're used to this like 3000 seat theater some of the time. And Broadway, a lot of people don't realize if they haven't been, these theaters are a little uh, more intimate. It feels like you're a little squished in very New York. You're very el- elbow to elbow with people. So it was a slightly more uncomfortable than I wanted it to be. And then the Maurice, whoever was playing Maurice in this oh, production. Crazy old Maurice. Crazy old Maurice goes, <laughs> there was a beast. Oh, that's not the line. He said <gasps> that. He said that. He fucking upped his line and then out loud said, wait, that's not the line. Oh my God. That's so disappointing. And that's when I was like, if it's this easy, I'm just going to go into writing Broadway shows. Wait, I have to tell a quick story that piggybacks off the story, story you just told. Yes, when please. I was, so I, I was very obsessed with flop musicals all through my childhood because I'm really <laughs> very dorky. I love theater history and I want to know all about Gantry, which ran for one performance and right. so on. You know what I mean? Um, and yes. so I convinced my parents uh, when I was a kid, I we were they were like, we're going to New York. What do you want to see? I was like, okay, well, obviously we're going to see, you know, The Crucible, both Liam Neeson and Laura Linney. And obviously we're going to see, and, you know, a few other options that I had. And then I said, but we're going to see Dance of the Vampires. And they're like, oh, what's Dance of the Vampires? And I was like, it is the show that will define the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, how, you know, telling that was. But I was so... Um, <laughs> So dead set on seeing this, and my parents trust me. They're like, okay, great. So they took me to see Dance of the Vampires. Um, cut to the end of the story real quick. They were furious with me. But um, <laughs> while we were while we were watching the show, which I was loving every single second of, I remember there was a part where the vampires were dancing in the aisles, the ensemble of vampires. Oh and there God. was one girl in the ensemble who probably knew um, the woman she was sitting in the audience whom she was dancing in front of. And I was sitting right by and she leaned over to some girl who was sitting right by me. And she goes, I'm so tired. (laughs) And I, I remember. So, so it's interesting (laughs) about this story for me is I remember. And that moment I was like, Oh my God, they're people. There are people who are like doing the job. Like this was the opposite for me of what, of what it was for you. It was a completely magical moment where I got to see behind the curtain and, and I was like, there are people and I'm people and I could be tired one day too. You know? Oh my God. The dream was always to become tired. That's always been the dream. And boy, did I achieve it (laughs) because I am exhausted. Oh my god! I love that that woman. I'm so tired. Is I'm so tired. I am <laughs> obsessed with that story. <laughs> and it was totally magical. It was so magical. I was. It was. I was in heaven when that happened. Oh my and, god! Uh, and I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, it was a good thing that that experience was mixed in also with like one of the best things I ever saw, which was The Crucible with Liam Neeson and Laura Linney, which was like yeah. the best acting I'd ever seen. Okay. Oh my god. But, Going back to your question, though, um, I was so my my dad um, always uh, he works uh, and worked in advertising because it was the mm-hmm. family business, and he was working there for a long time, and he was in charge of a lot of um, 
uh, commercials and stuff, and he would deal with children. There's a point to this, and he would deal with like I'm with kids. You. Yeah, he would deal with kids on the commercials, and I think seeing that he was pretty dead set on me not moving to New York and being a child actor. Um, I was. What just, did he see in specific, though? I mean, like, honest to God, I how bad? Saw, this I mean, isn't I, I, this isn't Ohio. <laughs> No, because he was also um, working oh, back in New York a little then. bit, and you know, my um, his parents' advertising business was located in Cleveland and New York, yeah. and and so there was a lot of uh, stuff like that happening. But um, but my parents were pretty sure that they did not want me to go be a child actor on the Broadway, though yeah. I begged them. I was just begging. It's all I wanted. It was the dream. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, looking back, I have, I'm of two minds about it. One is what a missed opportunity. I had the prettiest little soprano voice of all time. <laughs> and I totally could have booked Beauty and the Beast. Um, of course. Of and, course. Yeah. Um, and, and the second thing is I'm thankful that I didn't do that because I got to be ruined as an adult instead of as a child. True that. And you, you, know? you are definitely ruined now. I I'm could destroyed. see you I could see you starting like to smoke cigarettes by the time you're eleven if you went into child acting. I would have. I would uh, yeah. have. I, I not because it was the cool thing to do, but because you're so exhausted. I would have been exhausted. <laughs> and right. I would have been between shows, you know. I would have been at the time ordering in Kodama, you know, rest in peace Kodama. <laughs> and and I just would have needed my cigarette break on the balcony with the musicians. The image of know? this is so great. <laughs> Yeah. B- bitching about union stuff with the musicians. Yeah, I love course. it. Oh, of course. I'm like, 802 lets you do what? Okay. But, that is amazing. Holy crap. So so that being said, I was never um, a child actor in New York, but I was doing a lot of shows as a kid. So there's like a lot of local professional theater, a sort of, you know, like not quite big regional theaters, but. but you um, played Oliver at one point, I'm guessing. Yes, I was in Oliver four times as a of child. Of course, of course, um, absolutely. And in fact, I got cast a fifth time and my mother said no. She was like, you cannot do this again. <laughs> she, she turned it down for you. Yeah, I she said, it. you can't do it. I was like, mother, they're offering me Oliver. She said, you played it. You've played it and you'd have to miss some school. I was like, it's just a week. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh my was, gosh. Always a battle. Um, but I did a ton of theater as a kid. I did a yeah. lot of... And uh, with a lot of people who ended up going to New York and who are a part of the business now, like one of your uh, close friends, Andrew Kober, he was oh, the yeah. Mr. Bumble to my Oliver. Do you know that? I, I, I swear to God, I had no idea about that. And I love yeah. that so much. He is he is still Mr. Bumble. That's such that's, a bumble. He is such a bumble. Oh such my a bumble. God. And you know what? I'm such, you know, despite my, my wry nature, I'm such an Oliver. I mean, I look so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so it all works. <laughs> you know what I love about like community theater with kids is exactly that when you see like a 14 year old girl playing Widow Peru or something like that. And I remember playing, uh, I was double cast with Matt Doyle as, no. as, as Billy Bigelow and they didn't water down the script of Carousel at all. And there's a line cause he's a horrible guy. He's just a horrible man. He says, shut your mouth or I'll slap you upside the jaw. I was 14 <laughs> saying this to like a 12 year old girl. <laughs> How insane is that shit? Oh, God. I bet you were really good, though. 
I, and I and I like that. Um, and I like that. You know, kids. You know, we all we. I did this too because I played some adults. I drew. You know, I drew the the, 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 the listener can't see what I'm doing. I'm, I drew the wrinkles. You know the yeah. way that you know the way the 24 year old adults have deep deep wrinkles and brown pencil on their faces. You know, and every and every other tooth blacked out. You know, the way, you know the way adults look. You look like a jack o' lantern with a meth addiction. It's, like, it's so insane. My temple's yeah. grade. Yeah, you get that toothbrush with white paint on it, and you yeah. start brushing it up in your sideburns. That's right. It's like you're not fooling anyone, eleven-year-old Alex. You know, we know you're eleven. Um, uh, in so. every community theater production of Annie, the guy who was playing FDR was always oh. the youngest, youngest guy in the cast. Always, <laughs> every production I ever saw of that, I thought that was so funny to me. Oh, well said. <laughs> I'm so well glad said. we just we just had this gigantic laugh about this. That makes me laugh yeah, so hard. Well, it's pretty funny. Uh, all right, keep going. About? We were talking about how uh, community theater was a big part of your life. You did oh, all yeah. of it. Almost five times. Yeah, you know, I also will say Andrew Cobra was the baker to my Jack. God love him. God, I, I love that. Oh, and I had, I really had no idea that you guys had such a uh, a theater upbringing together. We really did, and we were in the Cleveland cabaret troupe together. Oh, and Lord. and I think there are probably other shows we were in together, but I I don't remember all of them. But those are the two that stand out in my mind that I did with Andrew. So when did you and Andrew have this horrible falling out? Well, <laughs> well, 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 yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've always loved Andrew. He's amazing. And, He's hard uh, not to love, absolutely. Right? And he was one of like the cool older kids that I looked up to. And oh, yeah. um, and we, I, I, I have memories of going to uh, when the cabaret troupe would go to um, IHOP at four in the morning together and Andrew would be driving me and I was like that's this little ninth grader and, you know. That's it. That's so cool. Yeah. Yes. That's and, cool. you know, some other guys, too, who I was a part of Cleveland Theater with. Ben Fankhauser is one. Max Chernin oh, is another. Wow. So, yeah, we're all from the same general area, and we're all you, doing You and Andrew have together. done wonders, but those other two, I don't those know. Those other I, guys, I don't yeah, know. Nothing I don't, really. Nothing I don't, of note. Who are they? Yeah. But, I, but anyway, the point is I was doing a lot of stuff and really thrilled about it and working really hard and always taking it very, very seriously. And I, I went to college for acting at Boston University. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I think I knew that, but may have forgotten. Boston University. Excellent. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I went there and it, that was, a uh, um, you know, though um, conservatory is full of abusive teachers, as so yeah. many people can attest to. Um, at the same time, there were really good things. Like I did a lot of writing in college, which I was doing anyway as a kid. Um, but I started doing it really seriously when I got to college and I was like, Oh, this is a thing for me. This is something I love. This is another way to express that very same impulse that makes me want to act. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we, can we just talk about you as a writer real quick? Cause your brain, sure. I mean, like people are probably listening at this point and they can hear that you're a writer just based on, on how fast well, you can take an idea and jump off of it. You're a great improviser in that way. But I think that that is part of the writer's brain and, and, and just the way you told that story about say, that woman saying, I'm so tired. That kills me. Uh, <laughs> When did you, because I remember sitting down with you, maybe we were at Westway Diner. Is that what it's called on 9th Ave? I think yeah, we yeah, yeah. And you were telling me about something you were writing and you were filming and I was like so excited for you. But I was also kind of thinking like, why haven't you been doing that? But you have been writing for like yeah, a long know, time. A long time. And I, I didn't, um, 
I didn't put a lot of things out there. Um, it's, it's, um, it's a later in life. It's a real, um, sun it's, and now that I'm in my sunset years, um, I feel, I, I feel a little more ready to put myself out there as a writer. I did a lot in college. I was just writing songs. Um, well, you are a great songwriter and I don't think anybody right. knows that about you. I mean, people, it's not widely known that you're an amazing songwriter and musical yeah. theater writer. You really, really are. I've heard lots of your stuff and it's fucking oh, tremendous. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I, I had a musical when I first got to New York, one of the very first things I did, I, you know, I started off, I got some acting jobs and things were going nicely. And then I also got a musical that I wrote in the New York musical theater festival. Yes, yes, yes. It was a wonderful experience where, um, I lost $30,000 and got pans <laughs> in the New York times. I was waiting for it. <laughs> yeah. It was Anybody a really experience that's precisely it lose it money in, in record time and then have have somebody much older than you not understand your art that is exactly yeah. and that that was my dream really is to have someone older than me um yeah tell me that I was garbage um yeah. Yeah. and don't worry it's happened so many times my dream just keeps coming true so <laughs> But I, I had this like really horrifying experience in Nymph where um, the show that ended up going up was not what I, it was not what was in my head. It totally got away from me. And I did not have the experience or the maturity to yeah. deal with that um, financially, emotionally, artistically. Uh, I couldn't be the kind of leader that I can be now to say, no, my idea is this and this is yeah. what should happen. Instead, I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. And it just became something else. Um, I, I've been there many times myself. I totally understand that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard when you're um, young and you're trying so hard to make sure everybody likes the thing that you're writing. And then yeah. and it turns out that nobody likes it because it isn't yours anymore. It's, it's so far away from and your you're, vision. And you're listening to people like they have one more credit on their resume. So you go, well, they must know one more thing than I do. I'm going to listen to them. And then it's not necessarily in the right hands. Been down totally. that path several times. ends up times. just throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. A hundred percent. Yeah. Or it's, so, so I had this experience and then um, I was very, to be honest, quite traumatized from it. Um, so much so that I, um, I didn't put anything else out there as a writer for about seven years. Yeah. This was the moment <laughs> and, I was like, where has it been? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was writing privately. I was, um, I took that show that was a nymph and I rewrote it about four or five times and did some private readings to try to make it better. And I definitely took some big steps with it though. It still has, um, those, how do you say it? Those vestiges of the, um, old idea that doesn't quite sure fully work. And so um, sure. eventually I, I started some other things that didn't quite see the light of day. Um, it wasn't until I started working with Wes Taylor that he finally gave me the uh, confidence to put my stuff out there. And because I was working with him and because it was a team effort and it wasn't all riding or, or dying on my shoulders, uh, succeeding or dying on my show. It, it, it was a shared thing. I felt like I could summon the bravery and Wes helped me do it to put myself out there. So we started this show, Indoor Boys, which now yes. ha you know, we've done three seasons. And my mom probably... adorably continues to call it the Inside Boys. So I, I often I go, mean, where's yeah, the lie? I, 
I, I correct her every time, but I think it's adorable. You know when moms are like, oh, I yeah. love Brittany Aguilera. They're like so close, <laughs> but it's not it's not the right thing. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply don't you just love alex wise well let me tell you how you can love him even more by following him and supporting him go find alex wise on instagram and twitter and keep up with what he has going on he is one of my favorite artistic humans please keep up with everything he does and let me just say this about his twitter account he is so magnificently funny that it makes up for all the mountain of garbage that twitter usually has so go check it out for yourself also go see for yourself his amazing performance and writing on the indoor boys seasons one through three are available at indoorboys.tv you don't want to miss it now more with alex wise can i ask about west taylor when how did that come about what were you guys working on that led to indoor boys and like i'm I'm sure you guys were friends through the business and yeah i knew him just socially a little bit we had hung out once or twice over you know some time in the past decade but then um I moved to Los Angeles because I got cast in a very creative role on The Bold and the Beautiful, in which I got to flex all my creativity instead <laughs> with deep sarcasm. Um, but no, it was a really cool job, and I got to be a part of a, a really interesting world. That part is true. Yeah. Um, and work with some nice people. And so I was there doing in LA doing Bold and Beautiful. And Wes was there. He was doing some various television jobs and had moved out there for other reasons. Yeah. And so I think maybe it was on Instagram. I saw that he was, and, and when you're a New Yorker kind of plopped in LA, you, you search for your like-minded people. So I think we texted like, oh, you're here. I'm here. We should meet yeah, up. We should hang absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. So we did. And after we hung out a couple of times, it was Wes who said to me, we should really write something together. To which I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, why, no, no. Why, why turn it down? So first of all, how, how often does that question come up when you like click with someone and you're like, wow, we have a funny rapport. This could yeah. be a fun collaborative effort here. And then it just never sees the light of day. The idea never gets past the computer screen or the meeting to write something in the first place never happens. It's a lot of talk. So you guys are already defying odds by sitting down and going, let's actually do this and write something. I think that right. in itself is fucking amazing. I, I I agree because I had felt before in my before times that uh, there's like, you know, um, post Wes and, and pre Wes, yeah. <laughs> um, but like PW. Wes really, 
uh, <laughs> in in uh, P. Oh, no, they're both P. Um, pre, pre pre W. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um, but before I I think I'd let a lot of moments pass me by, or I had um, uh, worked on them privately, but then said no one ever needs to see this. By the same token, though, I might not have been ready to. <laughs> Oh, look at, listen now. You hear that? It was my doorbell and I'm not going to answer it. You're um, allowed. We can take a minute for you to answer the door. Is it Amazon? Is it something that no, needs to come in? I'm not oh. expecting anything other than okay. disturbances. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Um, uh, but uh, I, I, I forget what I was saying other than uh, we, we. You just, and Wes and yeah, we how, you, how we got you going. Yeah, he just we, we start we gave it a shot. I remember we made the first episode of Indoor Boys. It wasn't even called Indoor Boys yet. That's and when it was called Inside Boys. That was Inside Boys, yeah. you know, back when you you know, it was your mom's idea we were trying to bring to light. Yeah, I but know she we, pitched it. Yeah, and uh it really just became Indoor Boys by circumstance because we were like, well, we have one location, what if we never leave? That's pretty much what happened. I mean, but like, um, how, like the way you're talking about this so casually, and then you can look at the list of awards you've been nominated for and won, including Emmy awards. Is it like, right. did you ever, did you ever see this happening? Like something that starts as casually no. as this might have. I, I never in my wildest dreams would I see a collaboration with one of my friends going this way and going this well and being this well received. You have an army of people that clung onto this, man. It's so fucking rad to see. Thanks. I mean, really, the best part of it is, um, you know, I, I this might sound like BS, but the part of being a writer that I really like is is the not selfish part. Like the part that I love is the part where you get to be a proud parent. Um, mm. I love the part where I get to where other people get to feel creative because I built a stage that they get to step onto. That's right. the part that that thrills me. And the idea that because I'm writing this, this means we get to work with this person. If I write for this person, we can bring them on board and then we can all have a, an experience together. That's yeah. the part that really excites me and makes me want to write new things and helps me create new characters as I think about, well, who do I want to work with? Okay. What if I write a role for, for instance, in Indoor Boys? What if we write yeah. stuff for Carolee Carmelo and Vianne Cox? <clears throat> Two Come actresses on. I'm obsessed with who are incredible. And we reached out and said, you want to do this? Cause we want you to do this. And we wrote yeah. roles for the two of them. It's like it, everything you say is not surprising, but the most amazing. I, oh. I just, I just see this as, as, as something that you were born to do. Listen to the story you just told and the people you were raised from. And like, I know it's kind of weird, but the fact that you have an advertising bloodline basically uh <laughs> on your on your dad's side i'm sure that is part of where the apple falls in terms of your writing brain do you do I you think, think that's so. what it is yeah i mean i do i feel very inspired by um i still think about a lot of things that my grandma used to say to me about writing yeah uh she always used to say writing is rewriting writing is yeah. just rewriting which you know is is a common thing to be said but the first time i heard it was for my grandma. And I really, um, think about that a lot. Um, yeah. and that gives me the bravery to write a really crappy first draft. And then it's about the work ethic that you have and the passion that you have to adjust and adjust and adjust and trim and cut and add a word and, and rearrange. And that's what turns it into something inspired. Um, yeah. but all you have to do is just the way I think about writing is I'm just going to 
close my eyes, open up a blank document and write something that is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. And I'm just going to get from the top of the page to the bottom and make the worst thing ever. But then there's some kind of spark in here. There's some little thing in here that I have to save. There's that one line that's so beautiful that I need to make the other lines around it match what's happening there or justify the presence of that line. Do you know what I mean? I 100% know what you mean. Yes. I I think you and I have a very similar approach and basically a a mission statement when it comes to being a writer and the stresses that come with it. But uh, some of the, some of those stresses are a lot of the most beautiful aspects of being a writer because of what the outcome is when you're throwing spaghetti at the wall. And Mm -hmm. once it starts crusting and peeling off the wall and you see what's left and you're, it spells out you're a genius drew you're like i did it somehow i don't know how but i fucking did it and you right. the way you uh talk about writing you remind me a lot of somebody you and i both know quite well alex brightman has the same exact he's just he's brilliant step forward when it comes to how he writes and he and i definitely collaborate on a number of things but when he's off mm-hmm. doing his thing boy i'd love to be a fly on the wall of that solo adventure because well maybe not all of it but some of it uh <laughs> for for reasons i won't discuss here but sure, I, sure. I i think i think you guys have the same exact approach of i'm gonna allow myself to write something awful and then see the beauty in there so that I can refine and refine and refine until this, you know, chunk of coal becomes a diamond or whatever. Some cliche is insert cliche here. I think it's, I think it's fucking wonderful. A lot of people uh, like we just talked about indoor boys for a minute and I want to go back to what you've done on Broadway because what you've done on Broadway, this again is like this Ron Howard idea is you can be this writer, creator, uh, actor on screen. And then you see you on Broadway and you are the funniest, most heartfelt, most uh, endearing human being when it comes to like the human experience and seeing it live. I saw you a long time ago. This is around the time we were getting real chummy, I think, was when you were doing Triassic Park and nobody Uh. remembers that goddamn show. And it is to this day, one of the greatest theatrical experiences. If you're listening now, if you've made it this far in the interview, for the love of God, go check out the Triassic Park soundtrack. I believe it still exists somewhere out yeah, in the ether. I think it's it's on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. It is. So tell me how proud you are of that because I loved watching that. That was one of the best experiences I've ever had as an actor, ever. Man. It was... It was remarkable. So for anyone who doesn't know, Triassic Park was uh, essentially Jurassic Park from the perspective of the dinosaurs. Yes. So we, we all play. So I played a velociraptor and uh, and in the um, in the canon of <laughs> Jurassic Park, all the uh, dinosaurs are bred to be female. So we were all female dinosaurs. Um, and uh and it was a beautiful, creative, silly experience. So where, funny. So yeah, and, and the, the writer and director, Marshall Paylett, who is still someone I'm working with and still someone I'm, I'm close very with. Very smart guy, yeah. Very smart. He really taught me a lot at that time about, um, you know, it's one thing to uh, uh, like perform the timing of a joke, um, but it's another thing to really build the truth of the moment beneath that timing. And Mm -hmm. I think those two things together that Marshall so beautifully helped us create in the rehearsal room made for this like thrilling, 
experience on stage where I was so engaged in my body and my voice, but we were doing something so dumb. It was so, dumb. so it was so dumb, but it was so full hearted. Yeah. No, That's nobody, nobody was me. giving it, nobody was giving it a half performance at any point. People knew how dumb it was just by the concept in itself. But yeah. boy, when you see that shit live, you are, the audience is right there with you, not with just the dumbness of it all, but the hilarity and the heart of it all. I'm telling you, you guys gave earnest performances as these dinosaurs. How fucking insane is that to say out loud? Right. It, we were, <laughs> we were really feeling it. As I was searching for like, oh gosh, I sort of forget now. As I was searching for like, you know, what's the true story of who are my parents? Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, that's, that's what a lot of the I journey loved it. was. You know, I took, I took my brother there to see it. He was visiting New York I, as part of his bachelor party. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who does that? Who says, let's see a musical for your bachelor party. But that one, it made sense. It wasn't like audience interactive and like something Vegasy and dumb. It was like a real musical you sit and you listen to. I thought right. it was a joy. It was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, so, but uh, theater wise, you do Lisa Strata Jones. Did mm-hmm. you think that was going to be the big one? I, well, it was certainly the biggest one at that moment because. At that one. Yeah, I could. I don't think I could even stop and think about like, will this be a success? Will it not be? Because it was like getting shot out of a cannon. Yeah, it the was the way that went was, from off Broadway to Broadway was like a big like, holy shit! Look at this thing go. Yeah, and it was really fast. And it was first. It was my off Broadway debut, and mm-hmm. then I spin around and it's my Broadway debut, and I'm just like, oh my god, oh my god, this is happening! Yeah. This is happening! And then they're like, you're closed. <laughs> you're we hate you. You're closed. You're go paraphrasing, home. of course. Yeah. Yes. You're closed. That's, go home. <laughs> go home, you idiot. <laughs> That's what it, it was a, a crazy thing to experience. Um, and, and I learned quite a lot about getting back up after you've been knocked down. You are a a prime example of that because you've had, not to say you've been knocked down so many times, it's astounding. I feel I have. (laughs) But I mean, like that's, I mean, that comes, that's part of the occupational hazard of getting into show business is you get, you you get dinged up. You, you think you're doing something amazing and then no one agrees with you that it's amazing. And, uh, you can't say, but look at the work. You can't do that. You can't try to yeah. convince everybody else. So you do get dinged up. But something that you were a part of on stage, and I know I'm just kind of resume hopping right now, and I'm That's just okay. touching on these things because people can Google you, for Christ's sake. And sure. I'm more interested in your upbringing and, and the woman saying I'm so tired and, and things, and your grandmother, Lois, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but you did the revival, and I want to talk about this a little bit, the sure. revival of Spring Awakening, which I thought was so interesting because you and I are virtually the same age, I believe. And yeah, that, yeah. that show was on Broadway, the original cast, when we were of the age to be in the original cast. Yeah, that's, and, that's true. And then it's revived. Everyone's like, this is coming back to Broadway. I thought it was just here a minute ago. It's this brand new look at it because Michael is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I was like, oh my God, and Alex Wise and Andy Mientis is in this? And you guys look fucking younger than you did when you were in your goddamn 20s. I don't understand you. Listen, foundation can go a long way. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> those stage lights and those balcony seats, they're forgiving. I couldn't um, believe it, though. I was, like, amazed at how good you guys fucking age. It's, it's mind-blowing. Maybe it's because I age, like, a rotting squash. I don't know about that. I think you look like an adult man. And Thank what you. I, and I am. That's because I've been blocking out my teeth and I've been painting yeah. the brown I, on my face. <laughs> it's the only way anyone's going to know you're an adult. <laughs> exactly, I'm an adult man. They can tell by the lines. Right. Uh, I, anyway, I am. Um, yeah. To steal from you know the great John Mulaney, I just look like an elderly child. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, are you okay, elderly. old child? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great Mulaney joke, but I, I feel I similarly. That. Uh, yeah, you know, that spring awakening experience for me is another, another example of, um, of sort of being, uh, well, my experience leading up to spring awakening, um, I left New York because I had my Lysistrata Jones experience. I toured with Wicked. I did, I did other things. And I I felt like upon coming back to New York, especially after Wicked, I felt like I can't get a break. No one will see me for things. I just feel like I can't do anything. And at that point, um, LA started un- very unexpectedly opening its doors to me. Mm-hmm. It just was just kind of like an accident that I yeah. ended up starting. I started to get TV shows. And so I was like, okay, I guess, I mean, I'll never be on Broadway again. So I'm just going to go to LA. And I thought <laughs> that's the only way I have to do something. And I really yeah. needed to sort of reinvent myself because I, I felt very stuck and I felt like it felt like people had made up their minds about me and what I can do and what I can't do in terms of New York. And, and I couldn't get people to see past their, um, their perception, their decided perception. So I went to LA and I was following this path of getting some TV work, which was really cool and unexpected. And then uh, spring awakening happened and it happened. I mean, I got cast in that show because I was friends with Andy and Michael and they sent me a text message and they said, want to be in spring awakening. And I was like, well, I okay. <laughs> I, mean, sir. I was yeah. like, I, I guess, I mean, you know, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'll see if I'm free that week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just, I know there's nothing on my radar that was like, this is going to be the next moment. It was just like, Oh, okay. I guess you're doing a, a thing, um, sure. But what um, a moment it turned into. I mean, like it, the. It, I mean, it was a life changer. It, Spring it Awakening told, fans are rabid in the first place, but this particular yeah. Deaf West production was like, was the stage door absolutely fucking crazy for you guys? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I, I, I love I, that. Uh, it was amazing, and you know, sometimes challenging in that way. But but the the real <clears throat> point of the story for me is how. Uh, I don't know just how unexpected it was. And that by giving up on the dream of Broadway, I found my way back there yeah. um, because yeah. I, I was just, you know, uh, you know what it was? It was, I, I went to this dance call for a show. That, that's my first mistake is I went to a dance <laughs> call for a show and, and I did so badly and I was so mortified dancing in front of, you know, the whole cast of newsies that I, yeah. <laughs> I, I went home and that day I booked a plane ticket to LA and I was like, I'm gone. I'm gone. I can't yeah. do it anymore. I'm gone. I'm not coming back. And wow. then a series of things happens that brought me back to New York in a very unexpected way. So you hear I, that, kids? Uh, if you give up on your dreams, they might come true. You have to give up. Yeah. You have to give up. 
You have to. You gotta give up, kids. You gotta give up. The, the sincerity in your voice. You have to give up. You, you do have it. to give up. It's only white kids. Um, <laughs> I really think though that um, the stuff that I have planned for my the, the stuff that I had planned for my life. I yeah. thought, well, by this age, I'll do this, or I will be in this show, or whatever it is. This is right. the year I get my series regular. It never happens that way. Never. But the thing, the thing that does happen is usually the thing, I mean, it's not always across the board and this might be a little like spiritual BS stuff, but now let's hear that, it. I love spiritual BS, but it does seem like the stuff that happens is more the stuff we need and the stuff that we versus the stuff we want. Yeah. You know what I wanted more than anything was to be in the ensemble of tuck everlasting and, and, <laughs> And I just, and I just couldn't dance it. I, you know, I just couldn't dance it. How but dare you? That's what I wanted. I was so damn sure. Um, <laughs> the ensemble of Tuck Everlasting. That's what I wanted. And it's, I mean, oh no disrespect God. to any of the people who did that. And no, I love I, the score. It's great. It's great. Yeah. But that's like that, that audition was mortifying and it set oh me over the God. edge. Mortifying. Oh God. And I just failed so hard. But but then I ended up getting more of what I needed, which was which was a really transformative theater experience and being introduced to many of my people who are still some of my closest friends today by Absolutely. doing Spring Awakening. That's what I needed. Absolutely. Uh, that's a great jumping off point, actually. I have uh, a segment I like to do from time to time called Very Dumb Questions with Drew. Good. And this is not so dumb of a question. It's actually a great question. Catherine Gallagher was on this podcast on your birthday, actually. And we both said happy birthday, Alex, when she was here. Uh, I want to play a game where I ask just random questions. The first one being, can you please name three of your favorite things about Catherine Gallagher? Yes. Great. <laughs> I'll start with a yes. Great. Okay. Three of my favorite things about Catherine Gallagher. Yes. Um, she is so creative in terms of uh, just always, you know, everything she feels goes into yeah. a song with yes. such ease. Yes. Yeah. Her creativity feels very easy. Yes. How like she dare sits her. back with it almost. Yeah. How dare her? While I'm ripping my hair out, she lays back and another great song comes out. It's just, it's unfair for, for me to see that. I got like three strands left up here. <laughs> you look great. I mean, the bone structure doesn't lie. Oh um, my God. It's true. Okay. And the more about Catherine. Um, Two more things. I love that she is, uh, and I don't mean like uh, intelligence because I think she's smart, but she's like a moron, you know, in the best way. Like she yeah. just laughs like a buffoon and she God, acts like a, just a, like a, like just a fool, the most delightful fool that I can I think love of. It. Uh, she's a delightful fool. That's a perfect number two. Give me that yeah. third one, baby. She, she's incapable of sending a text without egregious spelling errors. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why but, that that's so endearing to me. I have this. Yeah, but what it is, it's like a series of like, 
letters and numbers and exclamation points and it's up to you to decipher it but it's just it's just like she takes a just a handful of letters and throws them at a screen and it's a violent scrabble game a very just an angry game of scrabble or she's typing in wingdings and maybe it's like hieroglyphics and shit like that she's often typing in wingdings yeah. She's often typing in wing days. God, that should be a text feature if that's not already one. Uh, also, I, asked I because... like to add. Yeah, 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 please do. I'd like to add that the internet thinks that Catherine and I are in a committed relationship. And we're going to continue that rumor here today. Uh, good. Good. So you guys are about to have a baby together. Yeah, no, we are uh, naming yeah. her Eddie. <laughs> wow. Know. No, very, yeah. very woke of you. Uh, and how go. far along are you? Uh, about uh, 13 months. 13 months. Okay, so any minute now. Uh, I, I ask questions. I ask questions about Catherine Gallagher because I've made it no secret here that I have a, a, a relentless crush on her that I am just, I'm, I'm very out loud about. I tell it right to her face. I can't even help it. I think she is the coolest person for whatever reason. I think she is the coolest person. Uh, I have a couple more random questions for you before I say thank you for your time and kick you off this, uh, this podcast. Sure. Um, what is something you will never do? Mine is get a belly button ring. What's yours? I'll never get on a boat. I have a Ever. very I have a very strict no boat rule for my life. I like that. I like that. I can't handle the idea that people think cruises are fun because you're just trapped in the middle of the fucking sea. That's correct. Um, and with the w- worst kind of person. Uh, oh. When I was a kid, my family went on... Uh, if four uh, four holiday seasons in a row, we went on four cruises, oh, and by God. the end of that um, tumultuous period of my life, in which I would sit in the cabin and just read novels, waiting for the cruise to be over, <laughs> my whole family really made a decision that we would never get on a cruise again. And I, to this day, maintain that I will not step on a boat because. Every time someone runs into an ex on a TV show, they're on a boat and you can't get off the boat. You're you're just stuck with them. And that is, oh no, that's no fun. That's no fun. No boats. No boats. No boats. Okay. That's good. That's something he won't do. Uh, Two more questions for you. Alex, do you think R.L. Stein enjoys scaring children? Or do you think he likes writing scary stories? There is a difference. What do you think his 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 goal is here? I imagine R.L. Stein desperately doesn't want to scare children, but as he writes, he cries and whispers to himself, "I have to tell the story." <laughs> he can't help it. <laughs> he's is- so he's so upset. That he has to tell you. He so desperately wants to spread cheer, but his pen oh bleeds. God. His pen just bleeds. I love that so much. That is 10,000 times better than any answer I could have anticipated. I love that. <laughs> Did you know that his son was the sound guy for Beetlejuice? No way, really? Yeah, yeah. I think that's so <laughs> random and somewhat so fitting. Uh, okay, cool. last question for you. Alex Wise, this is called, uh, this this game is called Who Would Make a Better Grilled Cheese? Pop Star Edition. Okay. Who do you think would make a better grilled cheese sandwich out of these three pop stars? Dua Lipa, Taylor Swift, or Harry Styles? 
that's really hard. I know. This is know. this is probably the hardest question, and I really no, I have know. to dig deep into my that's psyche and, and my traumas to uh-huh. uncover <laughs> to uncover the truth of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah dig uh, into your traumas. <laughs> yeah, let me just dig into my traumas. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Harry Styles because mm-hmm. I feel like he would buy like a really fancy cheese to uh to make it into the most like you know to to, what am i trying to say that his grilled cheese is a little different you know yeah 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 absolutely he'd probably do something really artisanal a little fig jam or something yeah you know what i mean with fig jam yeah yeah i can see something going on i don't know that dua lipa has ever had a grilled cheese i'm still yeah i don't know enough about dua lipa and i feel like taylor swift hers would be like reliable american cheese it'd be fine yep but 100%. I just see Harry Styles with the fig. Can I ask you a question? Is this really the best note to end on? I feel yeah. like. This is it. And that's it, everybody. Thank you no. so much. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. my God. Here's the note we will end on. Thank you, first of all, for playing These Are Dumb Questions with Drew. I don't know what the name of the segment is. Uh, but I do, I do want to say. Uh, because we've been going almost an hour here. I don't want to take up more of your time today, Alex. I thank you for giving me so much of your time today, but I want to stand by my claim here that you are basically this Ron Howard-esque, uber-likable, overly talented, uh, non-stop, committed to the work, committed to the process kind of guy. And those are my favorite kinds of guys in this industry. And Lord knows there's not enough of them. I really have always loved our time together. And and when you and I get to hang out, whether it's collaborative or it's just chatting like this or bumping into you somewhere, I just think you're the loveliest guy in the entire world. And I think that Lois Wise, who had such an impact on you, would be rather proud of what she didn't get to see you do after college because it is bewildering and, and like I said, not surprising at all, but always amazing. And I love you very much, my friend. Wow. Thanks. Thank you, Drew. I, I, I love you too. And thanks for having me on here. This is really fun. I really did have a great time talking with Alex Wise. Hey, welcome to the outro, the end of the episode. You made it. This is where I give an over-caffeinated thank you. Thanks to all you guys for listening. I'm going to say that one more time, I'm sure, before this outro was done. Let me just say that Now We're Talking is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Have you gotten the app yet? Go get the app. You can find out more about me and this podcast at bpn.fm slash now we're talking. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at Drew Gasparini. So check me out there and stay tuned for what else I got going on. A special thanks to my man, Alex Wise. I've known him for years and it just is one of the greatest things to watch him flourish. I loved chatting with you, my man. Come back anytime. And thank you all you listeners for being super sexy and tuning in. Hey, make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.